Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time you've given us today. Lord, the chance to come together to, Lord, just to fellowship. Lord, to magnify you, to lift you up. Lord, you are our majesty. You are king of glory. Lord, I pray this morning as we go into this message, as we dive into the story of Elijah, Lord, that we would be encouraged by it. Lord, that we would see his courage, his faith, and yes, Lord, even his doubt, and be encouraged by what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we have been covering the profiles in courage. Specifically, the profile in courage on the prophet known as Elijah. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, Elijah had declared a drought. He's in Israel. He had declared a drought. He leaves, and everywhere he goes, we see God provide for him. He declared a drought, and the drought lasts three and a half years. Everywhere he goes, we see God provide for him. We see God provide for him by the ravens at the brook Cherith. We see God provide for him by the Samaritan, the, the, the bin, remember the bin of flour and the, the jar of oil that never went dry. And then we remember how her son had his tremendous healing. And everywhere Elijah goes, God provided for him. It reminded us of the, the principle that where God guides us, he'll provide for us. Amen? Where God guides us, he'll provide for us. But the land here is in drought. We talked about Ahab. He's the king. He's the most evil king that Israel has ever seen. The most evil king. He's married to arguably the most evil woman Israel has ever seen, named Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel, this pair of evil rulers. The land is in drought. And Ahab calls a man named Obadiah. How many remember Obadiah? We talked about Obadiah last week. He calls Obadiah to help search for water. They want to feed their animals. They have to find water. So Obadiah goes one way. Ahab goes another way. Elijah comes up upon Obadiah. And he says these words to him. Go tell Ahab, I'm here. It's time to talk. What does Obadiah do? He tries to talk him out of it. Says, whoa, Elijah, this guy's mad. I mean, you've been hunted. By the way, what's going to happen is I'm going to go tell him. I'm going to bring him back. You're not going to be there. I'm going to get killed. Nobody wants that. So please, don't do it. Then it brings us to this. If we could all stand this morning. You say, why do we stand for the reading of the word? Because we want to honor the reading of the word. Is that okay? So if we could all stand. And it says this in 1 Kings 18, 15 through 17. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler? Of Israel. You may be seated. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Remember that Ahab is kind of a jerk. Ahab's a jerk. He's just, I mean, really, is that you, O troubler of Israel? He's saying to Elijah, Elijah's like, you know, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I declared it, but it's because of your idol worship, it's because of your sinful nature, it's because of what you're doing your gross perversions, your immorality that you've brought into Israel. And Elijah responds with boldness. 
he responds with boldness. He says this, go ahead. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now let's stop there for a second. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks, and I don't know if we really understand what the Baals were. The Baals, the Asheroth, these different, these different idols that they had put into place in Israel. Not only had they put these idols into place, but they, they had torn down the altar set up to the, to the Lord. They have torn down the altar set up for the Lord. They set up these idols in place of it. You say, well, what's an idol? Anybody, what's an idol? Money? Something you worship? Anybody else? Anything you put before God. Bullseye. Anything you put before or above God. Anything. So, what are some modern day idols that we could talk about? Who said sports? Who said sports? Who said basketball? (laughs) Who said football? That was a word from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Revelation. We put we put all these different things above God. Our career, our finances, right? Our relationships. You know God told you not to date that Yahoo. Come on. You know that you're not supposed to marry that person. Uh oh. Stepping on. Uh oh. You, you know that God's been t- talking to you about what you should and shouldn't do. You know you don't want to date that person. They're going to lead you down bad places. Right? We just ignore it. Oh, God, he makes me feel good. Oh, God, she, just, she makes me feel loved. You don't need to feel love from her. You need to feel love from him. Amen? You don't need to feel love from that person. You need to feel love from God the Father. And so what we'll do is we'll take relationships and we'll place them above God. What else? We talked about money. We talked about sports a little bit. We don't want to talk about that too much. Anything else? Pleasure. Okay. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> we can go into uh, anything else? Reputation. That's a good one. Mike, you got something? How about just stuff? Just stuff. Our time. All these things that we put before God. When we're talking about they had set up an altar to Baal, they had set up this altar to Asheroth and the Asheroth pole, and we talked about these things a couple weeks ago and what these things were. When we talk about these idols being set up, we're not talking about just these little trinkets. Of, yeah, well, that's just a part of our life now. No, we're talking about these things that they have set up that they said, these things are more important than God. In fact, these are your new God. This is what you worship now. This is what you bow down to. Bow down to. This is what you perform gross sexual immorality for. That's what they would say, this Asheroth pole, this altar to Baal. This is what you sacrifice your child for. That's what they would say. This is the seriousness of it. 
It wasn't just some little thing off in the distance. No, this was the centerpiece of people's lives. God is supposed to be the centerpiece of our life. Amen? He's supposed to be the centerpiece of our life. Imagine if someone comes to you and says, no, no. I know that he's the centerpiece of your life, but from now on you have to worship this man or this person or this thing. That is the gravity of the bales. That is the gravity of the idols. Taking this God we worship, taking the center of the universe, taking majesty, taking the king of glory, taking who we magnify and replacing him with something who is not even worthy of his name. Elijah, with boldness, says the words, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon, and here's the challenge. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, just for... uh, historical perspective's sake, Jezebel's table was not her actual table. It was not the table where she ate and they ate with her. Uh, Jezebel's table was the name of a place where they would be housed. So they had 400 prophets of Asherah who would be housed. And it's interesting to note that when they gather at Mount Carmel, it's only the prophets of Baal that show up. It's not the prophets of Asherah. They don't show up. So the rest of the narrative we talk about and go into has to do with the prophets of Baal. But this is it. This is the epic showdown that we talked about last week. This is what is coming up. Meet me at Mount Carmel. Some people say Carmel. Some people say, some people say Carmel. Just like the candy is what I say. Carmel, Carmel, Carmel. I don't know, however you want to pronounce it. Mike, how do you pronounce it? Works for me. All right. Either way, Elijah is calling him out. Elijah's calling out Ahab, and we talked about this last week. Ahab didn't have to say yes. Ahab didn't have to. He was the king. He could have said, just, you know, kill this dude. But he had pride. He had an ego. He wanted to make, he wanted to, all right, you want a showdown? Yeah, okay. We'll see how that goes for you. He wanted him to just be embarrassed. And so the, the showdown is on. Meet me at Mount Carmel. Just so we know, Mount Carmel is this long range. There's a meeting place at the highest point, the tip of it. It was also called by the name El Maraca. El Maraca means the burning place. The place of the burning. It was the ideal place where all of Israel could come and see exactly what was going on. It was the perfect meeting spot. So Ahab sends word. Go to the next slide here. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said this. How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Keep in mind that Elijah isn't speaking to the prophets of Baal here. He's not speaking to those people, these prophets of Baal who have already made their choice. They've already committed themselves to wherever it leads. He's speaking to the people of Israel. His audience is the flimsy, fence-riding people of Israel. I want you to, to picture this today. He's not speaking to the prophets of Baal. He's speaking to the people of Israel. These flimsy, fence-riding, changing opinions every day, people of Israel. Pick a side is what he's saying. It's time for you to pick a side. Once and for all, pick a side. Amen? Quit riding the fence. Quit being so flimsy. Quit flipping and flopping. Make a decision is what he's saying. If the Lord is God, serve him. If not, follow your idols. You know, I think about how this applies to us today. How many can see it? I know I can. We live in this age and culture of what's known as tolerance. Where we have to hold hands and get along just to get along. Known by another name, that name is compromise. We live in an age of compromise. We live in an age where your opinion can't be too strong and your opinion can't be too strong. And if we can just calm ourselves down, we can hold hands and come together and we can work this out. We can find a middle ground somewhere. We live in this age of compromise. Compromise is defined as this. To accept standards that are lower than desirable. Compromise means to accept standards that are lower than desirable. This age of tolerance and compromise is another way of saying that we are accepting standards that are lower than what God has for us. As Christians, we are accepting standards lower than what God has for us. And it's leading us down dangerous roads in our faith and in the church. I like what Elijah says here. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if the Baals are God, follow them. I mean, really, pick a side. He's not hem-hawing. I like that word, hem-haw. He wasn't trying to bring both sides together and work out their differences. This wasn't a therapy session. Come on. Pick a side. Make a decision. Quit riding the fence. You people of Israel, you flimsy people of Israel, make a decision. If you're going to serve the idols, then serve the idols. But if you're going to serve God, serve God. 
make a decision for crying out loud. This wasn't a gray issue. You'll either serve God or you won't, but you're going to make a decision today. Elijah's very, I mean, he issues the challenge. And we see the response. I mean, he gives this great oration. He gives this great encouraging oration. He says, listen, if, if, if God is your God, then serve him. If the Baal is your God, then serve him. I give you the choice now. And the people's response is this. But the people said nothing. I know how he feels. (laughs) Sometimes you just, all right, you know, I'm going to give you my argument. I'm going to give you with, with as much emphasis as I can why this should be done. If the Lord is your God, serve him. If the Baal is your God, then serve him. Go ahead now, make a decision. And it's crickets. It's just dead. It's the people said nothing. If Elijah's preaching can't do the job, then maybe it's time for a demonstration. Maybe it's time for a demonstration of God's power. Maybe that's what's needed. Maybe that's what's in order. Sometimes I don't need words or pictures. Come on. I don't need to hear a sermon or a sonnet. I don't need to hear a song or a poem. I just need to see the glory of God. I, so, there's some times where, where somebody can say, well, no, I, I understand you're discouraged. Let me give you this Bible verse. It'll encourage you. Go ahead and listen to this preacher. He'll encourage you. He'll lift you up. You know what? Sometimes I don't want to hear that. Sometimes I can't hear that. Go ahead and listen to this song. It's so beautiful. It'll lift you up. It'll make you cry. It'll rip tears from your face. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I just want to see the glory of God. I just want to see the power of God in my life. I just want to see the situation moved and changed for real. I want a tangible presence of God in my life, and I don't need a song right now. That's not making a difference in my life right now. I don't need a poem right now. I don't, I, it, it, it doesn't help me. Sometimes this great oration this great speech by this amazing prophet of God. And the people say nothing. It was time for a demonstration at this point. Go to the next slide. So Elijah said to them, I am only one of the Lord's prophets left. I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. It is one against 450. Get two bulls for us. Here comes the instructions for the challenge. Get two bulls for us. I almost thought about doing a live demonstration today. I was going to have to call Gary or, or Doug. Get me two bulls. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. 
and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people say, yeah, that sounds good. That's what I mean, what you say is good. Yep, that sounds good. I heard meat and fire. Sounds good. Somebody say barbecue? (laughs) Sounds good. Get two bowls. Go ahead and take your bowl and cut it into pieces and set it on the wood, but do not set it on fire. And I'll do the same to mine. Go ahead. Do not set it on fire. There's one theologian that said the reason they used fire was that Baal was supposed to be over the fire. That their idol, this Baal, was supposed to have power over fire. And so it should be a pretty simple task. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, go to the next one. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. 450 of these people. Go ahead and choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light that fire. So they took the bowl given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Picture the dedication. Picture the devotion they have to this false god. We have a tough time. I don't want to step on any toes. We have a tough time having people come and pray for an hour. We have, people, we have a tough time getting people to stand still for 20 minutes. Right? I mean, we live in a culture where it's like now, 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 something new, something new now. Got to watch this. Got to be entertained. Right? From morning till noon, they're dedication and devotion shows how entrenched they are by this false god. It shows how captive they're held by the sexual immorality and the perversion. From morning till noon, they say, Baal, answer us, they shouted. Baal, answer us. But there was no response. Nobody answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Baal, answer us. From morning till noon, Baal, answer us as they're dancing and shouting around their altar. And nobody says a thing. And nothing happens. And this is where Elijah starts to have a little bit of fun. From morning till noon, Baal, answer us. Nothing's coming. So Elijah starts to say this to him. Go ahead. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I like Elijah. He began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or he's busy or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. 
There's some different translations that give different interpretations of what was said. One interpretation says, hey, maybe he's going to the bathroom. He's taunting them. Hey, maybe he needs to wake up. Maybe he's using the bathroom. What's the matter? Why can't you get him to answer? <laughs> have you ever, I, I, I mean, this is, of course you have. How, how many have ever been taunted? How many have, I've been taunted. How many have been taunted? How many have been egged on? How many had your buttons pushed? Bryce, you ever been taunted? You ever been taunted into a fight? You ever been taunted? I've been, I've been taunted into a fight. Sad to say. I can't remember if I was the winner or not. Let's say I was. <laughs> I remember being a kid and these kids just taunting me. I don't know if I, I, I remember when I got glasses, you know, they say, they say mean things about kids with glasses. They make fun of your last name. They, they throw on something. They start taunting you. They start pushing you. They start telling your mama jokes. You ever, <laughs> Bobby? <laughs> they start, they start taunting. They start pushing your buttons. And all of a sudden, I mean, when you're taunted and you, you, you see red and you just fly off the handle. What? You talked about my mother. You just kind of fly off the handle and you go crazy. As Elijah's taunting them, they kind of go crazy. So they shouted louder. And they started slashing themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. I mean, can you imagine the chaos of this scene? 450 people dancing around an altar, going crazy. Pretty soon, Elijah starts going, hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. And they start pulling out the swords and the knives, and they start cutting themselves. And now they're dancing, and the blood is flowing. Can you imagine the chaos of this situation? Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. They continued this just frantic, oh, Baal, hear us. Cut, 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 blood, blood, blood. Walk, 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 dance, dance, dance. Oh, Baal, hear us. Elijah's taunting them in the background. Dang it, got to cut ourselves some more. But there was no response. No one answered. I like that. No one paid attention. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. By the time they are done, they are worn out. Bleeding from self-mutilation. Undoubtedly embarrassed. Their part was done, and nothing happened. But now it was Elijah's turn. Go to the next slide. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. To the people of Israel, come here to me. They came to him, and here's what he did first. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord has come, saying, Your name shall be Israel, 
with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. You say, well, what's a sea of seed? A sea of seed is about 24 pounds. Two seas of seed, or 11 kilograms. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, these are the people of Israel, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. Think about the boldness displayed here. Think about, he had given directions to the prophets of Baal. They cut up the bull, they put it on the wood, and they didn't do anything else. They, they prayed, they cut themselves, they ran around, they danced, they did all these weird things, but nothing happened. He says, fine, I'm going to make my sacrifice now. He cuts up the bull, he puts it on the wood, and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't just put it on the wood. I mean, what happens if there's a lightning strike? What happens if there's a something, you know, just weird happens? No, no, let's douse this thing with water. Keeping in mind that they are in the middle of a drought. Water is sparse, sparse, whatever way you pronounce it. There's no water. There's none. What they have is very precious. So he says... Fill four large jars with water. These jars would have been about a foot in diameter and about four and a half feet, five feet tall. Fill these large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Think about the sacrifice that they're making. These people of Israel who had been sitting in the sun all day, who'd been sitting from morning watching the prophets of Baal yell and scream and cut themselves and dance and the blood flowed. They were already hooked into what was happening. And now Elijah says, go and pour this precious commodity of water onto the bulls. And so they do it, which you think would be Enough. But then he says this. Go to the next slide. Do it again. So now we have eight large jars of water poured onto this bull and into the trenches. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he says. Now we have 12 jars of water. And they did it a third time, and the water ran down around the altar and even filled up the trench. This thing is doused. This thing is soaked. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. There's two very, very different pictures here. 
One is the prophets of Baal, these yahoos that are dancing and cutting themselves and yelling and screaming and crying out with nobody hearing them. And along comes Elijah who steps forward and prays. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Go to the next slide. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. I mean, it took every drop. The fire of the Lord came down. It took everything. It burned up everything. By the time it was done, it was on dry ground. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate before the Lord and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize those prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. Then they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, and they were slaughtered there. Slaughtered there. You don't read about that much. That that wasn't in my Bible story when I was a kid. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Why does God kill people? Why did God kill these enemies? It was like taking out cancer. It was destroying people. It was destroying sin that would have just kept spreading. Like a surgeon going in and, and, and just, just aggressively cutting out as much can. You can't leave even a spot. You can't leave even a, just, you can't leave a smidge. Because it will grow and it will take over if it can. These prophets of Baal, don't let anybody get away. Seize them. And so this is what he does. 1 Kings 18. Go to 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He's in an attitude of prayer now. He says, go and look toward the sea to his servant. He says these words, and his servant went and looked. He came back and says, there is nothing there, he said. And seven times, Elijah, in the same stance, there's nothing that indicates he, he changed his attitude of prayer, says to the servant, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud, as small as a man's hand, 
is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. See, he had permission to kill the prophets of Baal. He did not have permission to kill the king. Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. We don't, re- we don't uh, read very much about this, but it's worth noting that God does something supernatural here. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Do we get the picture of what happened there? Ahab is taking off in his chariot. He's, his chariot is carried by horses. The horses are going as fast and quickly as they can because the rain is coming. And now God has touched and blessed Elijah, who takes his cloak and shoves it into his belt, and he begins to run faster than the horses carrying Ahab. He runs ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. There is, I mean, this is the picture, 1 Kings 18, it's the picture of victory. It's the picture of victory. It's, I mean, he issued the challenge. The prophets of Baal came. They, they cut themselves. They yelled. They shouted. They did all this different stuff. Nothing happened. He goes before and prays a simple prayer. The fire of God comes down, sucks up the offering, sucks up all the water, takes out everything. They capture the prophets of Baal. They're killed. It, I mean, the rain is coming now. God's enemies are destroyed, at least most of them. This is the picture of victory, isn't it? I mean, the rain is coming now. It's a heavy rainfall. You would think that everything would just be incredible. But now Ahab has to go back to Jezebel and tell her what happened. Go to the next slide. It says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, Jezebel's mad now. She's mad. She's very, very angry. She sends a messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life your life like that of one of them. What is saying? I, she's saying, I swear by my gods, you are dead by tomorrow. I mean, there is just pure evil and hatred here. I swear you are dead by tomorrow. Now, these are the words of Jezebel. Elijah has just confronted Ahab I mean, Baal, Mount Carmel, water coming, water, uh, fire coming down, sucks up everything. And now we have rain. The victory is the Lord's. Elijah's got to be feeling good. Elijah's got to be feeling confident. I mean, I mean, 
he just ran ahead of horses for crying out loud. Right? I mean, the power of God is on him. He's got, I mean, he, was, he just went up to Ahab with courage and said, I'm not a troubler of Israel. It's you and your father's house. I mean, he went up with courage. Just So you would think, this little Jezebel, this Jezebel, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, she says she's going to kill him. Not like he hasn't been hunted for the last three and a half years anyway. Three and a half years he's been hunted. Not worried, the Lord's provided every step of the way. And so you would think when he hears about Jezebel saying, you know what, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, you would think he could kind of shrug it off. You would think he could kind of, well, I, I know whose side I'm on. I, I got courage. I know who's got my back. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And here's how Elijah responds. Go to the next slide. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was, this, this is not the picture we had last chapter. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. This is, this, there is two different Elijahs shown in these chapters. This is, this, is one, this is one of the reasons I love Elijah. You know, in 1 Kings 18, man, he is the hero of Scripture. He's a hero of Scripture. I mean, he's, he, he's got the courage. He's got, he's got that stand before the king, call down fire from God. I mean, he's, he's the picture of the biblical hero. But in 1 Kings 19, it's an entirely different picture. It's an entirely different picture. The picture here is not of a hero returning from a victory, but of a worn and weary traveler as he collapses from exhaustion and depression. How could this be? How could this be? You know, when I started this series... Just a couple of weeks ago, I told you that you would be encouraged by Elijah's courage as well as his doubt. Not just his courage, but also his doubt. Where before we see this heroic prophet of God laying waste to the enemy, I mean, he's just laying waste to the I mean, it's just, it's awesome to see Elijah in 1 Kings 18. But in 1 Kings 19, we see that he's very much like us. He's not indestructible. In fact, he's fragile. He's emotional. He's doubting everything God has called him to do. He's broken. This is the picture of a broken man. 
He came to the broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. His depression has led him to thoughts of suicide. Have you been there? Have you ever been at a place where you've just been broken and fragile and emotional? Take my life. I'm no better than anybody before me. I'm no better than anybody before me. Then he lays down and falls asleep. I've been there. I've been there. You're going from a spiritual high of ministering to people, seeing people's lives changed, restored, only to be followed by feelings of doubt and shame. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's the person that you've been witnessing to for years finally comes to you and says, will you pray with me? And you pray with them, and and you're on this spiritual high, and Lord, thank you. And just as you get... so much doubt and so much shame. God, am I even worthy to lead this person to Christ? Am I even worthy of this calling? Lord, just, oh man. I might not be talking to everybody today, but I know I'm talking to somebody. I might not be talking to everybody, but I know I'm talking to somebody where where you're on this spiritual high. God has just blessed you. You've seen God do tremendous things. And at the end of it, you just, all your courage is gone. All your, your faith isn't strong anymore. You just feel depressed and down and worn and weary and broken. Have you ever been there? What's the cause of this downfall? What's the cause of this downfall? What's the cause of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 going to Elijah in 1 Kings 19? Afraid and worn out and hiding and suicidal and just exhausted and just, just God, just take my life. What's the cause of this? And the quick answer is, it's the devil. Right? I mean, that's the quick answer. The quick answer is it's the devil. The quick answer is it's the enemy. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your courage. That's the quick answer, right? And don't get me wrong. That's what the devil does. But I want to change your thinking a little bit here. In that we shouldn't always be so quick to blame the devil. Well... Not entirely. Not entirely. I want, to, I want to turn from the Old Testament story of Elijah, and I want to quickly turn, we're not going to turn there just yet, but I'm going to talk about it first. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. The Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, he's he's talking about how God has given him visions and revelations and how tremendous they've been. And Paul is giving a warning 
because it's after these visions and revelations, he says these words. Go to the slide. In 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 9a, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think of me, will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said these words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, he had a right to boast. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the guy. He's been given vision and revelations, and he says, even if I choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Just like Elijah, Paul had weakness. He was a messenger of Satan. But here, it was allowed by God to keep his pride in check. It was allowed by God, just like in the book of Job, where at times God will allow Satan access to test you. This time he allowed Satan access to Paul to keep his pride in check. You know, there's some different sayings that I think these are worthy of. Uh, There are times where we get a little too big for our britches. You ever hear that one? Come on. How many ever got a little too big for their britches? I'm 6'5 and none of your business pounds. I've gotten too big for my britches. Sometimes we sit a little too high in the saddle. I like that one. I rode a pony once at a circus. I've never ridden a horse after that, but I sat a little too high in my saddle. Sometimes we need to be taken down a couple notches. Come on. You know what I'm saying? How many have ever been there? We need to be taken down a couple notches. Just as permission was given by God to afflict Job, Paul here was afflicted too with a thorn in the flesh. People say, well, what was it? Doesn't matter. What was this thorn? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It tormented him. Doesn't matter what it was, it tormented him. Three times he says, God, please take it away from me. I'm begging you, take it away. But he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God is not requiring perfection. 
He is perfect. He does, he's not requiring perfection from you because he is perfect. It's only in your weakness that he is made strong. And now we come back to 1 Kings in chapter 19. It says this, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. We're back to Elijah, and he looks around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. He's had time to rest now, to be strengthened by some food and some water, but he's still scared. He's still a bit messed up. But God's not done with him yet. How good is it to know that even in my doubt, even in our weakness, even in our imperfection, God is not done with us yet. How good is it to know that God is not done with him yet? The Apostle Paul has a few more things to say in 2 Corinthians 12, and I want to end it, the message with that this week. And it says this, go to the next slide. The rest of that chapter, the rest of those verses say this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's so many times in the church, in our lives, where we think, God can't use me. I can't be used by God. I mean, you know how messed up my life is? I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What happened to Elijah? I mean, he has some food now. He has some bread. He has some, he has some strength. What happens to Elijah? Where does he go from here? We will take a look at that next week. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for showing us a picture of not just a hero in the Bible, but someone who is broken in the Bible. Someone who is fragile, someone who is emotional, someone who is just like us. Lord, that even in his weakness, you still wanted to use him. Lord, even in his sorrow, you still chose to use him. Lord, even in his... Lord, just like Paul, your grace is sufficient for me. 
Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you that even in my weaknesses, you are made strong. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, that they would realize where their strength lies. That they would realize where their courage lies. That they would realize that it's not in ourselves because ourselves can be broken so easily. But it is in the power and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That when you're weak, he is strong. And that his grace is sufficient for you. Lord, I pray over each person here that they would be reminded of your grace this next week. That they would be reminded daily of what you've done for them. How much you've sacrificed for them. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name. Amen.